nestled on the western edge of Port Phillip Bay, an hour and a half's drive from the deadly intrigues of Melbourne, lies Gateway City, the hub of the region. G-Town. The last four decades, an uneasy peace has existed between the Anarchs and Camarilla in G-Town. Their borders meeting on Bruce Street in the very centre of the city, the two sects divide the domain neatly in two. The native Anarchs, consolidated in the industrial north, have learned to tolerate Prince Aveline and her Camarilla invaders, and she in turn grants all Anarchs the right to hunt and conduct business in her waterfront domain. Anarch rabble-rousers and Camarilla traditionalists each afford their counterparts reluctant respect. Until now. Word from Melbourne has reached the kindred of G-Town. Prince Squizzy wages a war on three fronts against a newly reorganised Anarch faction, Sabat Infiltrators and the Onslaught of the Second Inquisition. As refugees from both sects flood into Gateway to escape the oncoming chaos, local tensions flare, and the truce that has maintained peace since 1983 will be pushed to its limits. Welcome to Lords of G-Town, a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat Podcast, with music by Kevin McLeod, White Bat Audio, Ivan Duch, and Jaxius Music. Now, the sun sets on the city and the blood stirs. Let's see what horrors the kindred face this night. Before we begin this week's session, there's a premonition that was received by Mitch off-screen. A boy peers at you from across the kitchen table, an uncertain look on his face. He's so young, he barely has facial hair. Don't worry about it, mate, you say, sliding the crossbow and quiver of bolts towards him. You're doing the right thing. Bloodsuckers are on the prowl again. The boy reflects on your words for a moment, and then he reaches for the bow and nods. Good, you say. Just do everything I tell you to, and we'll get through this. Welcome back, everyone, to Lords of G-Town. The old clock tower above City Hall has chimed out into the darkness, signalling midnight on the second night of your investigation. You have just over one night left before you present your case and fight for your unlives. You're currently standing in the old G-Town Cemetery 
joined to the botanical gardens right there on Ballerine Road on the waterfront. Assembled in front of the sadly neglected tombstone of Sun Suk Lee. As Cross packs its instruments away back into the silver carrying case that it seems to always have on its person. The words of Sun Suk Lee's wraith echo in your mind. He buried my blood under the white sand where black meets white. Something is buried at Eastern Beach. No more than 10 minutes away from where you currently are. Something that could be an invaluable piece of evidence in clearing your names, or something that could simply be a lost wraith's lost fetter. A waste of time in your current circumstances, but something that Cross at least might find useful in any case. Val also has a meeting planned with Mark Bradley, also known as Cleopatra. The newly elected mayor of G-Town, who courts controversy wherever he goes, perhaps due to the influence of his purported kindred master, Mr. Dawkins. Tig has a meeting planned with Pussy Magnet Murphy, the Nosferatu Autarchus who lives at the old refinery just on the edge of Foster and Homestead Park, who may have information crucial to your investigation for a price. And finally, Bouncer has agreed to Go and meet with the Bruha contingency of the waterfront. The Waste Workers Union down at the tip in West Gateway. But fate has thrown a wrench into those plans as one of Bouncer's girls, Lisa, one who supposedly owed a debt to the Lovelaces has gone missing. And so, our resident Bruja Bouncer is left with a choice. Postpone her meeting with the Waste Workers Union tonight to check in on Lisa or risk leaving one of her girls 
in grave danger to advance her own ends. So, as you crowd around Sun Sook Lee's tombstone and decide how you'll spend the last hours of tonight, I ask the question, what would you like to do first? I don't see no way we get all this shit done without splitting up. Very astute tick. And there is tomorrow night. You still have one more night to conduct your investigations. Someone should speak to the Setites. At least that's what Sam Stokes impressed upon you. But that's not necessary at the moment. So, Tig, you'll be going to see Pussy Magnet Murphy. Yeah. And I believe... You reckon? Yep. And I believe everyone else is still committed to their previously decided course of action. Uh, yep. Val definitely is. Val, yep. And Bouncer, you've got a dilemma. How will you be handling this? Uh, yeah, no, she's going to be putting things on hold for a second to go look for look into Lisa's situation. Bouncer bites her lip. She shakes her head, looks at the rest of you, and she says, I can't be wagging lips with Bruja when one of my girls is in trouble, especially when Barry Jr. might be involved. Oh, i got to check this out. And no one seems to have any protestations. You look after you, Val. Go do what you gotta. So, one question for all of you. Will you be leaving Cross to examine the beach for Sunsook Lee's buried blood on its own? Or will you all accompany it, considering the beach is only a short distance away? I mean, it's not an insignificant patch of land to search, especially given the cryptic clues that you've been provided with. Mitch would definitely go with Grass to investigate. Yeah. Alright. So it's better than two. Good luck. How far, how far away did you say it was? Like, it's only, it's only like about... Walk or something, yeah, it? yeah, it's only about ten minute walk. It's like back where you met with Sam and just yeah. down the cliff. Just, just down underneath the outlook. Yeah, it bounces like looking like un uh, looking a bit like shockingly worried but it's just like it's ne it's nearby I can I'll come down and give you a hand with it while I'm doing some other things on as well and she's got her phone out just like messaging everyone just trying to see like you know like who saw, who saw who saw Lisa last like what when was she supposed to be on sort of thing just like can anyone get in touch with her yeah and Val, you've still got some time to kill before your meeting with Mark Bradley. Oh, Val's itching to get that uh, get that underway, but she does do the courtesy of asking at least. Uh, so, do you need like a hand with that, or 
is this kind of a spooky, you've got this under control situation? Cross, do you think you need Val's help? Uh, Cross does not want Val's help, but Cross isn't quite sure how to answer that, and it's like, it, it should be fine. It should be fine. So, Bad vibes from that one. That's going to be fine, I've got things to do, so. Yeah, you got a meeting with Mark Bradley at 1am, a very unusual time for a civil servant, but then again, he is in the pocket of a kindred, so you're told. So, you start making your way down the cobblestone path that winds through the cemetery. Eventually, you pass the gatehouse and the door of the security room is still tightly shut and you see the face of the security guard, his pudgy cheeks pressing against the dirty glass as he watches you walk by and he silently mouths the word ghost. He doesn't wait for a response. He pulls the blinds shut, shielding himself from whatever eldritch horror you've convinced him lurks within the cemetery. And as you approach the cemetery gate, I'd like everyone to make me a wits awareness roll, please. Wits awareness. I don't even remember how much that is. Give me a second. Uh, two successes. Oh wow, that's only one for me. A Mitch. Yep. Two successes, three so oh, far. Pretty good at this. Well, let's see here. It's statistically a very bad set of rolls. Wow, that's only terrible. Two, only two successes. Cross has its mind on other things, but that's still five so far. Hey, we're one of a par. <laughs> Yeah, three successes from Bouncer. Yeah, okay, eight altogether. So Bouncer and Tig are the first to hear it. First, just your footsteps crunching along the cobblestone. And then, somewhere beyond the gate, the sound of thick tyres crunching over asphalt. A quiet engine shuddering to a halt. Oh yeah, Bouncer and Mitch. And Tig. But then you all hear it. The sound of a car door being thrown open. And deft, yet heavy footfalls. The sound of someone running along asphalt towards the cemetery. See them as you step between the wrought iron gates out onto Ballerine Road. The car is still parked in an alleyway between two waterfront properties. The headlights, the high beams still on, pointed in your direction. 
the driver's side and passenger side doors wide open and running across the street towards you. They're not really Batman and Robin, but that's the first thing that pops into your mind when you see the old man in a long black trench coat, despite the summer heat, and a teenager wearing slightly too small body armor with a bright green shirt underneath. The old man points a bony finger at you as he sees you emerging from the cemetery, and he snarls, there they are! Bloodsuckers! Just like I said! Get him! So, turns out hunters read the newspaper. Or at the very least, the headlines. It doesn't matter if a vampire did or did not kill Elvis. All that matters is that it looks like a vampire did it. And so here they are, the initial wave of hunters prowling the city streets in the wave of the discovery. These are the first they won't be the last and as you heard them coming you have a scant few seconds to react as they reach for their weapons the old man clutching a stake in one hand and a hunting crossbow in the other raising it holding it up training it on you as he runs across the street okay before i take an action um cross is uh, inclined to spot out minutiae that nobody else would notice, especially in a time of um, stress. Is there anything interesting that might have caught its eye about them while it's kind of missing the point? I would like Cross to go ahead, make for me a intelligence investigation check. Two successes. Two successes. So as I mentioned before, the younger hunter, his body armor looks about a size or two too big for him, and Cross notices the oddest, strangest thing. In the pale moonlight and the ambient light from the street lights, Robin, the younger hunter's face is absolutely blanketed in acne. Okay, not much I can do with that. It's an other. Yeah, hit this! Shouts Batman, slamming a bolt into the crossbow and shoving it towards Robin and then brandishing his stake in his right hand. With his left hand, he reaches into his cloak and shing! This motherfucker has a sword. <laughs> What's everyone else doing? Okay, so I have a feeling Mitch would recognize these, at least the face of the boy, judging from a particularly premonition that you yeah. might've mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um. So Mitch is kind of going to step forward and like throw his hands out like, okay, okay, wait, 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 let's just pause for a brief moment. Surely you don't want to expose a child to this. Mitch, go ahead for me. Go ahead and make a charisma plus persuasion check. You just throw up your hands.
Messy uh, crit. Well, <laughs> messy oh, okay. crit. Yeah. So Mitch steps forwards as Robin holds up the crossbow, nervously shifting it between each of you, and Batman brandishes the sword. His run slowed to a purposeful stride as he holds the sword up, grits his teeth, and silently moves towards you, his face grim. Mitch holds out his hands, and he bears his fangs, and he says, You really want to expose him to this, a kid? I might be liable to tear his pretty young face to shreds in front of you as the beast roars in the pit of Mitch's stomach. But it has the intended effect. Robin lets out a feeble whimper and you know and cross notices his finger on the trigger of the crossbow loosen ever so slightly with hesitation his guardian though batman the older hunter snarls in anger he'll pay for that blood sucker it'll be your face on the road tonight, rotting in the sun as the morning comes. Oh, shut the fuck up. There's no dumbass like an old dumbass as well. My wife says all the time. Look, arsehole. Tick says as he pulls out the sword off and points it in his face. Throw down your shit and ran the fat girl for all. Put a new wall in here. <laughs> Bouncer and yeah. Val, what are you guys doing? Um, Val has rapid reflexes, so she's already kind of ducked behind something, pulled out her pistols from her ankles, and just completely prepared for whatever the fuck goes down. She's not starting it, but she's ready to respond. Ready to finish it. And Bouncer? Uh, after having a moment of surprise after seeing Tig pull out a shotgun, he's just, oh, okay. It's just like... Uh, yeah, Dawn goes on, just sort of follows on from where Mitch left off. She's like, seriously, it's like, seriously, mate, you know what we are. Why? You came here with, what, your grandson? Do you really think you're going to be able to take on four of us? So I'd like Tig and Bouncer to go ahead and make strength plus intimidation checks for me. All right. See how this goes. Glad I put points in this. That'll be two successes here. Two successes. And don't want to add my presence to this, doesn't it? It does, yes. Yes. Jesus, okay. Are using your Daunt. Three from Bouncer. Three from Bouncer. 
five altogether. He rolled a two. You erode his willpower by mm. three as light catches you in just the right way. And for a brief moment, this old grizzled hunter's mind reels, flashing back to some of the more horrific kindred he's seen. He doesn't show that he's experiencing any moment of hesitation. Instead, he grits his teeth, raises his sword, and charges straight at Mitch. So Mitch, I'd like you to make a dex athletics to dodge, or you can try to fight him with an attack of your own. Don't suppose I can pull the trigger before he gets to Mitch? You can. You can go ahead and do a composure firearms check. I wasn't fucking bluffing. Six successes. Six successes? Alright. Uh, Mitch, I'll still ask you to make the dodge roll, though. One success. One success. Okay. Alright. So the man charges, raising the sword. Tig steps out, levels the sawn off shotgun, and fires. That was six successes from you, wasn't it, Tig? Sure was. Alright. So two things happen near simultaneously. The hunter steps forwards and thrusts the sword in front of him, running it through Mitch's chest, dealing two points of superficial damage. He's about to pull the sword out and strike again on the backswing when he takes the full brunt of buckshot right there in his torso. Bone, sinew, and bits of trench coat are blasted out in front of him. His thickened trench coat absorbs one point of damage, and he takes four points of aggravated damage, dropping his sword. It clatters on the asphalt as he falls to the ground, screaming in pain. Meanwhile, Robin, seeing his grandfather go down, shouts in surprise. He levels the crossbow, pointing it straight at Tig, and the crossbow shaking with nerves and hesitation, he fires. Tig, go ahead, make me a dex athletics check with one penalty dice. It's okay, Robin also has a penalty dice, thanks to Mitch. Unnerving him just a little bit. Two successes. Two successes. All right, here we go. Ooh, three successes from him. Suddenly his body face wrinkles in resolve and he pulls the trigger. The crossbow fires and the bolt slams into Tig's upper right bicep. Dealing... Two points of superficial damage. Alright. Alright. We on move on to the next round. 
as the older hunter lies groaning on the floor. His bloodied hand fumbles inside a trench coat, pulling out an old service revolver. He pulls himself up into a sitting position and trains the revolver on you while the younger hunter slots another crossbow bolt into his weapon. Cross, what would you like to do? Okay. Uh, uh, Cross, first of all, is probably moving to whatever nearby cover there is. Yep. So Cross just turns and immediately darts back through the wrought iron gates, presses its back up against the stone wall of the cemetery. What else would you like to do? Okay, I'm looking for more details again. Cross is yeah. going to be scanning for any potential weaknesses, vulnerabilities, anything that they might have missed or like forgotten. Yeah. Go ahead and make for me another intelligence investigation check. Add your specialty for noticing minutiae. Actually, I no longer have that. Uh, no, that was an early no. build. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead and just make an intelligence oh, investigation. Two six. I'm going to reroll. Yeah. Willpower. That's three. So as Robin fumbles with the crossbow that's slightly too heavy for him and starts running, uh, running to a nearby newspaper dispenser to give himself some cover and get a better angle on the kindred, you notice the clasp of his body armour dangling out of his right pocket. Lazy teenager as ever, he hasn't bothered to actually adjust the straps so that they fit him. Instead, he's just clumsily tied them together and shoved them into the brim of his pants. <laughs> Icon. Okay. Um, yeah, Cross is going to point to to Robin, and yeah, his body arm is barely hanging on. Body armor's barely hanging on. You've got a target. Alright, Mitch, what would you like to do? Um... I think Mitch is going to finally pull out his gun and start aiming and try to shoot at Batman. Shoot at Batman. He's on the ground. He doesn't. He's out in the open, in the middle of the road. Doesn't have cover. He should be an easy shot. So I'd like you to go ahead for me and make a composure firearms check. You get an extra dice. One success. One success. That's okay, he still has a chance of total failure. Mitch seems to be hesitating. It's clear that these hunters have bit off more than they can chew, and he doesn't seem to want to just gun them down in cold blood. Tig, what are you doing? Tig levels the shotgun at Batman's head, and his eyes flare red. I'm going to give you one more chance to go the fuck home. Take your boy and leave. Or you can pull the trigger and leave permanently. 
Your call. Pig strides out into the middle of the road, thrusts the barrel of the shotgun with one shell remaining, right up against the man's skull. Go ahead, make a charisma intimidation check. Oh, charisma. We can make strength if you want. Or manipulation. I'll do strength. God bless. How much do I care? Ah, I don't want to get shot. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do a willpower. Hey, there we go. Five successes. Nice. Val, what are you doing? Um, you mentioned that the car that they arrived in is still running with its headlights beaming down the block, right? Yep, looks like they intended to do a quick hit and run attack, maybe stake one of you and then get out. Probably weren't expecting four of you. Um, Val is going to make for the car, uh, taking pot shots at the kid's, like, legs, ankles, like, not not any percent of mass, but just trying to... Be down there or something, if if possible. But the main the main idea, she's going to run to the car and get in it. Yep. All right, Val, go ahead. Make me a deck athletics check and add half of your celerity. Uh, rounded up or down? Rounded down. Oh, so that'd be no celerity, Seb. Oh well, you get a minimum of one. If minimum you of one. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Dex, Athletics, Slow. Ah, uh, that's just one success. One success? Uh, so that means gonna, you will get willpower? I'm gonna willpower it, just, just to be safe. Just to be safe. Uh, critical five. Critical five, mm. nice. Alright. And finally, Bouncer, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, she doesn't really want to have to kill anyone, so after hearing Cross shout out to the thing about the armor, she's going to try and basically just like run in and use the fact that his arm's not properly like belted down just to pull it off of him and try and hopefully use that as a... Yeah, hopefully use that to make the old man see sense. Just rip the armor straight off. All right, go ahead, yeah. bouncer, and make for me a strength roll check for me and if you have potence you may add potent if you have um the potence ability that lets you add your potence you may go ahead and add that yeah that'd be prowess isn't it I don't know that. yeah that'd be prowess yeah you just have lethal body uh, no not even that I took the leap one ah you leap yep alright so yep just go ahead make uh, you can use, if you like, you can actually use your soaring leap to just leap straight to the boy, giving you an extra dice on your pull. Cool. That is five successes. Five successes. Your eyes fixate on the dangling clasp of the black jacket and then you leap into the air the boy screams as you sail across the road in a single bound landing right in front of him and reaching out grappling him 
So, he points his crossbow right at Bouncer, who's landed right in front of him. Your Daunt is still active, is it not, Bouncer? Ah, uh, yes. His finger tightens on the trigger, but instead of firing, he takes a step back and screams, ah, ah, ah! Failing his check to attack Yui, instead whirls around and thunk, fires a bolt right at Tig, who has the shotgun held up against his grandpa's skull. And that will be... Uh, let me roll for him. That is three successes. Thunk, Tig, you take three points of superficial damage as another crossbow bolt slams into the back of your neck. Alright. Well, since I didn't defend, may I do something instead? Yes. I'd like to ignore it. I'd like to just no-sell it. Make yeah, it look like it didn't even affect me. The bolt slams into the back of your neck and you wince for a fraction of a second, but to Batman, it looks like it barely had an effect at all. And this adds an extra success to your intimidation roll. Batman is going to roll to see if he... See if he can summon his resolve or whether you erode the last bit of his willpower so he is rolling with a dice pool of seven for this that is five successes but tig thanks to you selling that crossbow bolt slamming into your neck to no avail you have six. And so his finger tightens on the trigger of the revolver in his hand. And then he looks up into your eyes. Grits his teeth. And he says, no. Not the boy. Not the boy. And he lowers his gun. It's at this point that Val, moving with blinding speed, settles into the driver's seat of the car, wraps her hands around the steering wheel, just as Mitch takes a pot shot. Bang! The bullet slamming into the asphalt in front of Batman's knee, left knee, missing it by about half an inch, and selling that these vampires mean business. Not the boy! Take me! Not the boy! We ain't Shout taking it. either of you, yo <laughs> fucking idiot. Take your kid and go home, and good luck explaining to the hospital why you got silver shot in your gun. To your left, bouncers leaped down off the newspaper dispenser, has grappled the boy, and with one swift motion tears the clasp of the body armor to shreds and the flak jacket hangs lopsided on the boy's shoulders as bouncer lifts it over his head and for 
good measure delivers a swift punch to the boy's rib. A bone loudly cracks as the boy gasps ah! and falls backwards. He takes five points of superficial damage as he falls to the ground and starts screaming in pain. His bones quite clearly badly broken. Come on then. Leave him to lick their wounds. We got other stuff to do tonight. Do you remove the shotgun? Yep. Val, you're in the car. As you see Tig raise the shotgun, lifting it away from Batman's skull. What do you do? Um, she's not much of a driver, but she's seen movies and she knows exactly what she wants to do. And the car's an automatic, so it works out okay. Um, she chucks it in drive, slams on the gas, and swerves around the old man, kind of just like pulling it up sideways, and just yelling to the code read, It's just all the fucking dramatics! What? What are you trying to prove? Let's get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> he just yeah. kicks, kicks the right, passenger door right. open. Yeah. <sighs> So what is your, how many dots in drive do you have? Oh, she has zero. She's zero. passing right. understanding. I'm going to ask you to just make a dex check for me, please. Sure. <laughs> I was going to let you do it without a roll if you had at least a dot in drive, but no. Nah, let's see how this goes. Just dex. Tech shakes his head. Now take me out. As uh, one, as you. One, one success. One success. The tires squeal as Val clumsily swerves the car around, speeding out from between the waterfront properties. For a brief moment, it looks to the rest of you that she's put too much throttle in it, and she's about half a second away from driving straight into the stone wall of the cemetery. But there's a loud as the tires squeal, turning at the last moment, and she speeds down the road towards you. Cross, quite nonchalantly, steps out through the gates and clambers into the back seat. As Bouncer tosses the clearly beaten boy to the ground, sliding into the passenger seat, leaving Mitch to be the last one. And Mitch, as you step forwards, pull open the passenger side back door and begin to climb in, Batman summons his last bit of resolve. He raises the revolver, trains it right on you, Mitch grits his teeth and fires. A parting gift, bloodsucker! He screams as the gunshot rings through the quiet street. Mitch, I'd like you to make a dex athletics roll for me, please. Total failure. Total failure. 
So Mitch, you're not expecting him to fire back. You think you sold the intimidation before. It's a total surprise to you when you carefully amble out, pop open the drive, pop open the car door, and you're about to take your seat when you hear the gunshot and thunk. You feel the impact of the bullet slamming into your back as... Val reaches out, grabbing you by the shoulders, shouting, Come on! Pulling you into the back seat. And you take... Ooh. Four points of superficial damage. His aim was true. Spot on in this instance as blood begins to gush out of your back staining your nice knitted vest oozing all over the back seat Val slams her foot on the pedal the tires squeal and the engine roars to life as it screams away leaving the two hunters sitting in the middle of the road illuminated in the streetlights clutching their wounds their gaze of utter intense hatred following you until you round a corner and they're gone ain't no, ain't no fool like an old fool <sighs> drop me off up there me it's not far uh, yeah, so Val's going to drop uh, drop Tig off at his ute and head back to where they all gathered towards yeah. their vehicles, etc. Back where they started. About three minutes later, the hunter's car rumbles to a stop in the small parking lot in front of the scenic overlook where you met Sam. The gazebo illuminated by the high beam lights showing off all of the cracks and lines of creepers that infest the broken foundation and the decades-old plaster tiles along the roof. And beyond that, Cowie's Bay greets you, an endless expanse of nothingness, pitch black, with a tiny line of bright white Visible, just at its edge, Eastern Beach. You clamber out of the hunter's vehicle and Tig makes his way to his ute. At this point, he's running about a minute and a half late for his meeting with Pussy Magnet Murphy. So Tig, you waste no time. You give a curt nod to the others simultaneously thanking them for their help and wishing them good luck as you slide into the cabin of your ute. It's more like a grunt. A grunt. And he'll call some birds on the way as he goes. Turn the key in the ignition and the old Toyota's engine splutters to life and the rest of you watch you... The rest of... The Coterie watches Tig reverse out of the tiny parking lot and the ute makes its way down the street, swallowed up in darkness. Tig, I'd like you to go ahead and make your animalism roll for me, please. Well, 
Let's go ahead and boost charisma. Let's get hungrier. Hungrier, yeah. But that's still five successes. Five successes. And just before the ute rounds a corner and disappears behind a lavish waterfront McMansion, you see the black inky silhouettes of five seagulls descending from the night sky towards it. I'll do some healing as I eat. Yeah. And more succulents should mean I won't have any problems with this. And you have animal succulents, don't you? Mm-hmm. Which means that... Uh, that means... And I just that... aced four of the five healing rolls, so I should be able to top up. Yeah, well, usually a seagull would be half a point of hunger. With your animal succulents, you get one point of hunger from each one. So... Yeah. You're immediately down four, leaving one left and this lone seagull perched on the dashboard of your cabin just eyes you warily, wondering what its fate is to be. Sadly, it's an animal. And Tig... And his dogs have been such good boys, so Tig reaches out, snaps a wing, tosses it back through the window into the where the dogs are waiting. <laughs> The two dogs immediately descend upon the wing, and then Tig winds... Three, actually. It's a three-dog night. Ah, yes. The three dogs descend upon the wing, tearing it to shreds in an instant, as Tig nonchalantly throws the bloodless carcasses out the window, winds it up, and continues on his way to the old refinery. The rest of you... Make your way down the narrow stone stairway that winds down the cliff face to eastern beach below. Your boots crunching on the eerily white sand, even at this time of night, illuminated only by the light of the moon and whatever ambient light pollution rolls in from the waterfront, it seems to glow a pale, ghostly white, looking less like sand, more like snow or frosting on the edge of the inky abyss that is Cowie's Bay. With the cryptic words of Sunsook Lee's wraith in your minds, you fan out, start to search the beach for places that would be decent enough candidates for where her blood would be buried and after searching for about 20 minutes Mitch you're the one who finds it you raise your hand and shout over here signaling the others over to you and you point up the beach and there visible just barely 
in the long shadow cast by the cliff face is a sandbar at the edge of the beach and the way the water laps at its edges it looks ever so slightly like a pale white arrowhead pointing out of the beach and piercing the skin of the water. Make your way over to it, having narrowed down the location, but the sandbar is still a decently sized patch of land. It extends out at least five, six metres, and it's wide enough that you can make your way down at walking two abreast. You start searching for patches where the sand is a bit thinner, a bit less concentrated to begin your search, and I would like everyone who is present to make an invest intelligence investigation check for me, please. You will require... Speaking yep. I speak of which, what time is it? Uh, so by now, it's about Half past twelve. You've still got, you've still got time, but maybe you might have close, to leave. But... You might have to leave soonish. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was investigation. Yeah, intelligence investigation, and I will be requiring at least six successes altogether for you to find the exact location in a timely manner. Oh, uh, that's three from Val. Three it's from Val. Yep. I'm going to boost intelligence. Boost intelligence, lovely. Sorry, what was the role? Uh, intelligence investigation. So as long as one, if he gets one, we're good. Yeah. Oh my god, what are these rolls? I got two out of seven. Two out of seven. <laughs> it's you okay. It. That's all that matters. You meet the minimum. I got three somehow. Yeah, three. And so bounces the one who, staring intently at the sand beneath her feet as she carefully combs the arrowhead. She's the one who calls out, Here! I think it's here! And as you gather around, her eyes narrow. She points at her feet and she says, I can see it. Something beneath the surface there. And indeed, as you rouse your vite and call upon your hunter's senses, Bouncer, you can see it. The sand here is just a shade darker than all that around it. So subtle that only you, with your vision enhanced by the power of your beast, can see it. Let's start digging, you say. And so, you all crouch down, dig your hands into the sand, and begin to pull handfuls of the eerie white dirt away. Uh, Val Before... watches instead. <laughs> Val She's wearing watches. a blazer and suit. She's not digging. <laughs> yeah. Her, her arms just folded. She watches. Supervising. Supervising as the rest dig, splattering their clothing with bits of sand that gets 
gets into places that they probably won't be able to get it out of for months. This adds a significant amount of stress to Cross. Cross is the first to stop digging. You wouldn't buy it, you wouldn't quite see it looking at Cross's face, but after a couple of minutes of digging, Cross bites its lip, brushes its hands on a nearby rock and stands back, letting Mitch Val letting Mitch and Bouncer finish the job. Bouncer hefts a handful of sand out from the bottom of the hole and smiles, pointing down to what you've dug up. Crust is currently not even paying attention and is just feverishly, like, wiping as much sand off its body as it can. Brushing it off its clothing, rubbing its hands on a nearby rock perhaps even tempted to step into the water and start splashing it on the front of its body. No, there lies more sensory pain. Yeah. So you manage to get most of the sand off your body cross, but there's a couple of grains that remain wedged somewhere in the folds of your skin. Oh, it's probably going to need to count those. And those couple grains of sand just enough to leave a constant sense of discomfort in the back of your mind. And so you're the last one to join the others as Mitch leans down and pulls a tattered, blood-stained, faded orange hoodie out from the hole. Barely comprehending what it is at first, it takes several seconds for you staring at it, Cross, to process what it is. And you've barely even processed that it is, indeed, an orange hoodie, identical to the kind that Barry Jr. wears, before you turn your back to the others and busy yourself for the rest of the scene, taking off your jacket and your shirt shaking all of the sand in the folds of your skin out onto the pile of clothes at your feet and kneeling down in front of them and the rest of you rest of you here cross begin to count okay one two three four five six seven eight that's three stuck together. Should that count as one or three? Either way, that's ten. Ten, eleven, twelve. You flap the orange hoodie in the air and lay it down on the sand in front of you. It's one of Barry Jr.'s and it is covered in blood. Copious amounts of blood that now, after all these years, is little more than brown stains. Painting parts of the hoodie a deeper shade of orange. But there's so much of it that it's easier to point to the parts of the hoodie that aren't stained with it than to point to the parts that are. What do you make of this? It's 
says like the little bit doesn't have much of a sense of fashion. Same. He was nothing but orange hoodies. Clearly has a fondness for the brand. It's also so sloppy. Yeah. It's covered in blood. So Cross is busy. In the background, it's still counting. 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. And so you are without Cross's expertise. You probably won't get as accurate an idea of what exactly this signifies, but you could attempt an intelligence medicine or an intelligence investigation check, though that will be harder. I can push to um to engage and help out. It will just take um, more effort. Let me check the rules on a footboard block. Uh, you can spend a willpower to uh, um yeah. So you'd like to spend a willpower? Uh, only if you're calling him. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, Val pretty much just goes and taps him on the shoulder and says, like, look, we, we found it. This is your thing you're supposed to do, right? Like, you're really good at this. Fuck off, I'm counting. 41, 42, 43. Do you spend the uh, willpower across? Did you catch what I said then? Yeah, fuck off, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Val grabs him by the shoulders, turns him around and says... We're going to die if you don't get your shit together. Help us, please. Ah, uh, d- uh, 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 okay, 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 okay. I, I, I can help. I can help. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you see it scratching its arm really hard again as it tries to draw its attention away from the greens. Stop your counting at 48. A very weird, arbitrary... Yeah, 49.50. And then you peer down at the orange hoodie. And the splotches of dried blood paint a story in your mind. Go ahead, Cross. Tell me what how many dots in medicine you have. Uh, no dots in medicine. <laughs> How many dots in investigation do you have? Four dots in investigation. Four dots is more than enough. It's almost as if the dried blood swims and shifts and changes before your eyes. It's so clear to you. You wonder why you had to be dragged away from your counting to assist with this. This must have been one of Barry Jr.'s earlier, messier kills. It's likely he didn't attempt, he didn't intend to exsanguinate Sun Suk Lee when he set upon her. After all, her death was sold as a suicide. It's likely he was trying to make it look like a self-inflicted wound. But he fucked up. And whatever he did resulted in her gushing blood all over him, spraying him with gore. Maybe he cut her throat in just the wrong place. Maybe he stuck his knife or claws too deeply into her wrist. In either case, 
She bled far too much for it to ever be sold as a suicide. And so he had no choice. He clumsily took off his sweater and buried it under the sand. Mere meters away from where he killed her. Don't fucking waste my time. You know what happened here. 51? 52? Mitch says thank what? you. <laughs> right. It's, it's gonna take some getting used to working with him. Him? It? It. Yes, right. Beep beep. Okay. Bouncer, your phone yeah. beeps loudly in your pocket. Immediately pulls it out and checks it. You fish it out, and on the screen is a message from Melissa, the owner of Club Violet. Nobody has seen Lisa since her last shift. She's attached Lisa's registered address. And she's included the agreed-upon code phrase that in your mind, Bouncer, means something is wrong and I need you to deal with it. And that code phrase is Mama's Worried. Yeah, getting that, she's not even really looking up from the phone, she's just... Yeah. Well, you all seem to have this handled, I need to go deal with something else. Just makes her way off the beach. And Val, this is your cue. You've got just under 20 minutes to make it to City Hall. Good thing it's only a few blocks away. Uh, she pushes up her blazer um, on both sides, all the way up to the elbow and ruffles it and kind of stuffs her hands into her pockets and uh, realizes that the time has probably passed quite quickly and pulls out her extremely nice watch um, and uh, checks the time, paces around. Look, this has all been fantastic and Cross, thank you so much for your help, but I do have an appointment. I... You guys can get back yourselves, right? Of course you can, you're adults. Um, right, uh, I'll see you later. And she storms off the beach um, as fast as her dress shoes will take her. Yeah. Bouncer and Val walking in unison, making their way off the arrowhead, making a beeline straight towards the stone staircase that ascends the cliff, leading, leaving Cross, who's now frenziedly counting through the 70s, and Mitch still clutching his blood-stained woven vest, wincing in pain, <sighs> to scoop up the orange hoodie and sling it over his shoulder. So, Mitch, your stamina is two. Stamina plus three is your health, meaning you have five health, meaning that currently Mitch is impaired. 
He's got one point of aggravated damage, and the rest is superficial. Before we end this scene, would you like to rouse the blood to heal some of that superficial, just in case? Uh, yes. If you explain to me how to do that. Yeah, so make a rouse check, and your blood potency is one, so for each rouse check you make, regardless of whether you get hungrier or not, you heal one point of superficial damage. The point of aggravated damage will need to wait until next time you awaken. What kind of hunger does Mitch have right now? Two. Two. Two? Okay, it's not too bad. You can take it one by one until you're comfy. Yeah. So you can go ahead and heal all four points of superficial you have, if you like, with four rouse checks, if you want to risk getting hungrier. Risky. Um. Rolled one and got a failure. Yeah, so you're okay. at hunger three, and you're now at three superficial. You want to risk again? Um, not entirely, no. A hunger three is a bit much. Yeah. Mitch winces in pain <sighs> as the bullet wound begins to close, and the ever-present hunger pains manifest. The beast purrs with anticipation, cutting through the silence of the night and crosses ever-present counting. 81, 82, 83, 83, 83, that's all of them. Okay, 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 83. Okay. Everything seems calmer quieter now that they've all been accounted for but Mitch as you look towards Cross and toss it the orange hoodie and it clumsily snatches it out of the air and you begin to wade through the ankle high water off the sandbar your beast whispers in your mind's eye. You have to feed. You have to feed, Mitchell. If you don't feed, if you let it grow unchecked, just think. Just think how many more lives will be ruined. How many realities will collapse around you. You need to feed. The sake reality depends on it yeah and you're no longer incapacitate you're no longer impaired because you have one empty spot in your health tracker now okay so we will cross to tig as the ute winds through Downtown gateway, out into the industrial outer suburbs, and beyond that, into the outlying farmland. You pass by the sign that says, Welcome to Foster, back when this used to be its own incorporated town and not merely one of the many outer suburbs of G-Town. 
And there, on Hamlin Road, is the old refinery. A hulking mass of industrial wasteland. The old smokestacks piercing the night sky above like pitch black onyx pillars. As you guide your ute into the weed infested, overgrown parking lot just outside the boarded up visitor's centre. Your headlights illuminate faded lettering on a billboard attached to the barbed wire lines, chain link fence. Pentex Oils. You kill the engine and step out of your ute and your three dogs peer over the edge of the tailgate, begging to come along. Giving you that puppy dog look. If I bring all of you, you think I'm a hogby gone out? I'll bring one. Show good faith. <laughs> Which one do come you on, pick? Come on then, Baba. The other two dogs hang their heads in disappointment as Bubba barks woo, 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 and leaps out of the back of the booth, the blue healer's tail wagging furiously as it trots along behind you. You push open the chain link gate, it groans weakly as it admits you, and then you make your way down the long, empty courtyard past the old factory building and past the visitor's centre to the only building that still has its lights on. The admin block at the very back, right across the block from the refinery itself. I'll look for a door and knock. Step up to the door of the admin block. There's another faded Pentex logo and an old sign that reads "Authorized Personnel Only." And then they really, they really did sell the Shea's oil round. Used it for a season, and all the stock in the barn took sick. And then they abandoned it. Went out of business. Yeah, dunk, dunk, dunk. You hear two things in quick succession. The sound of many tiny animals scrambling among the debris inside, and then a gravelly voice. That Tig! Sure is. That Murphy? Bunyip said you'd be around. Come in. Come in. Alright. Mind if I bring me dog? Mm. So you want him outside? Can call. you can can you control it? Oh yeah. Fuck it. Bring the dog in. On your and best as, behavior, Baba. As you push the door open, Baba begins to growl. I said no. Best behavior. 
How many dots in Animal Ken do you have? I think like three. And it's a and it's a uh, famulus. He's a famulus. So a, a stern word is more than enough. Bubba stops growling, looks up at you pensively, and Bubba's tail drops, no longer wagging as you push the door open and step inside. Inside, sprawled out in an old office chair, his feet up on a dust-encrusted desk is Pussy Magnet Murphy. He's a self-identified ugly son of a bitch and you're not inclined to argue. Stands up as you enter and smiles and wordlessly motions for you to follow him. Tig offers a handshake and follows. Shakes your hand. And his grip is quite strong despite the fact Despite the fact that his hand looks like it barely has any flesh on the bones. And then he leads you past a row of old desks into what was once the manager's office. He steps up to an empty bookshelf, fumbles around somewhere in the darkness, and then you hear a loud click as the bookshelf slides open. He leads you through a secret door into a cramped concrete cavern. Here, he has a lot of monitors and even more caps. At least 20 or 30 of them, their eyes glimmering in the semi-darkness as they silently watch and judge you. Okay, I've got to admit I'm very relieved. When I heard you was called Pussy Magnet, I was afraid that was because you looked like an enormous dong or something like that. <laughs> Pussy Magnet laughs. And he says, no! It's my own shaking name. hands awkward, you know? Gotta think, yeah. for, gotta think for cats, he says, as you can see. Didn't try to make friends with any of them. All of them strays. And what do you know? They just like me. And now they do my bidding. He says, you'd be surprised how much information you can get through the eyes and ears of a stray cat. Emotions to a moth-bitten sofa wedged up against the wall opposite the bank of monitors. Make yourself at home, he says. And as he Tickles. says this, he glares at the cat seated on the monitor, seated on the sofa. <laughs> Five or six cats jump off the sofa, giving you room to seat yourself. Tiggle hop up there, pat the seat to bring Bob up, pull out the treats bag, crinkle it, and realize he's got about a hundred pairs of eyes on him. Look, mate, you're gonna have to share, says Pussy Magnet. Baba gets the first one. After that, the bag just kind of gets sprinkled around. Yeah. Yeah. You reach in, take one chip, hand it to Bubba, and (laughs) Bubba crunches the entire thing to bits in one gulp. You're about to reach in to grab some for yourself, and then you're keenly aware of 60-something eyes on you, and so you shrug and upend the packet on the floor. (laughs) Meow! 
Oh, the cats descend upon the massive chips. And Pussy Magnet smiles, revealing an insect-like mandible. Got nothing but respect for cats. They're hard workers. No arseholes, but I mean, so's most people I know, so... Well, they're gonna be on the streets again soon, he says. Blokes who own this place, Pentex, gonna knock it all down so they can build another fucking refinery in the same spot. So I'm looking for a new haven. I'll take anything I can get, but I want a home for me cats. What if you didn't have to move at all? I see Bunyip's told you what to expect. Yep, information's me business, and the price is a place to live. I don't care if it's here or anywhere else. If I didn't have to move, if I didn't have to move all me cats, obviously I would find that much more convenient. Right about now, I got a courier mate who's having to talk with the prick who uh, slated this place for demolition. Yeah, Mark Bradley, cunt uh-huh. in the pocket of Pentex. Not sure what she'll be able to do. <laughs> she'll be having him biting the hand that feeds him if she gets him to sign off on protecting this place. By the time she's done, this place will be a fucking wildlife preserve. Yeah, or historical for register. Or something like that. I don't know. She, she's just going to take care of it. I don't know the specifics. But in exchange, we would lock any information you can give. Uh, soon Bunya filled you in on the current situation and shit. Murphy shrugs. One of his cats jumps up onto the monitor bank behind him and rubs against his shoulders as he continues to talk. Yeah, Bunyip's filled me in. Barry Lovelace seniors gunning for you. Wants one or more of you dead. And you'll do anything for any information that'll get you out of the frying pan and potentially into the freezer. I wouldn't say anything, but having to talk with a stuck-up prick on the city council, that's that's not too hard for her. So listen, we'll, we'll, we'll save you a place, but... Uh, uh, pretty big favor, and I figure, you know, if you've got anything can help on this, let's pay the favor for off, otherwise, big favor down the road, you know? Murphy leans back, reaching over his shoulder, scratching the head of a tortoise shell cat, and he says, Hmm, I can help you. I guess All you'd right. be wanting the unedited footage of that night in question. Not sure I can get that for you, but I know where to try. It's like you read my mind. Or maybe it really is that simple. It's probably that simple, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I can put yeah, some feelers, or in this case, whiskers out on the street, see what I can turn up. If not the footage itself, some other evidence of who was there that night. Now, you vouch for this chick in your coterie, right? 100%. She is the best bullshitter we got. 
now look i ain't saying i ain't calling her abilities into question but i've been dealing with politics for going on 60 years now and decades before that when i was still alive too and i know they can be weasley bastards so let's say your girl doesn't manage to win mark bradley over Pentex has got their claws in, and they're going to knock this place down, build a newer, shinier refinery, and me and me cats are out on our asses. I'll still get you the information you need, but let's say, worst case scenario, she isn't able to do her job. What can you offer me instead? Couple things. Go on. I'm just thinking how much I like you. And I'm <laughs> thinking how much I can trust your own people. Well, says Pussy Magnet, as a second cat, a pudgy, disheveled looking orange ginger cat leaps up onto his lap. We're both animal people. That is true. Are they? Are you? Are they what you eat? Not cats. He glares, narrows his eyes. Wombats, rats, lizards, birds, never cats. You eat not you eat your dogs? No. Got cows for that. Well we got that common ground. Look, I'll munch on a human if I have to. And in my earlier nights I had to more than once. But if I can get a nice rat, or a big fucking lizard, maybe a nice huntsman or a couple, that'll sort me. Alright. If you end up being turned out, I've got a shed ain't being used, and until we can find you something better, you're welcome to stay on my territory. Here is shed? On your farm? Right. I know all about your farm, Tig. You got something 30, 40 acres of land there. I'm sure there's enough room for me and me cats to live in peace without us running into each other that often. Question is, your wife, how'd she feel about Pussy Magnet? And 30 cats suddenly taking up residence in the old shearing shed. I'll probably be on the couch for a while if it comes to it. But it won't come to it. I trust Valerie. I trust her pride. She will come through, absolutely. Alright then. Oh, um, she also sent along a note. She said a lot of things. Hang on. I'm supposed to ask for uh, transaction records of some feller named Elliot sending money to Mark. Ma. Elliot. Elliot Dawkins. Yeah. true. Used to be Cam. Turned over to the Anarchs. 
Let me guess. Your Val reckons that she reckons that Mr. Dawkins got his claws in. Well, what if I were to tell you Dawkins is on the board for the G-Town branch of Pentex? Um, hang on. Says Tig and he pulls out a pencil and starts writing that down. She'll like that. Yeah. And it's eventually, of course, he's on a fucking board. They, they're on more boards than those fuckers that sleep in the native soil or whatever the hell it is. So he's probably the one who wants me place knocked down. He finishes scratching the orange cat behind its ears. And then he holds out a skeletal hand and he says, All right, I'll give you your information. I trust your Val. But we got contingencies in case it don't work out. We'll call this a working relationship for now, but a positive one. I'll get the whiskers out on the streets and I will see what I can turn up by tomorrow night. Deal? Done. Deal. And Hig offers a handshake again. He reaches out, shakes your hand. And I would like you at this point, Tig, to go ahead and make for me a charisma etiquette check. Just to okay. gauge just to gauge what in what kind of impression you give Pussy Magnet. Because if he likes you, he might go the extra mile. So I'm going to boost charisma. Honestly, Tig probably did it in coming in here because he knew he had to talk by himself. Which is never a good thing. Uh, get a little hungrier. Only one success. Shakes your hand. And then he smiles and he says, Hmm. Don't got much of a head for politics. I can tell by looking at you. But, Gangrel, not like you blokes are usually the smartest tools in the shed. I do appreciate you keeping that mutt on its chain. Can't imagine it was easy to control a dog in a room of 30 cats. I appreciate that. Oh. I breed him. I train him. I am their father for all intents and purposes. If you ever want one, let me know. Got some pups coming up. I think I'm fine with my cats, he says. He says, but they appreciate it. And I do. I think we're going to get along just fine. All right. As they say in this line of business, fuck off and let me do me thing. Fucking off. Good on you, mate. Tig stands and follows the man's instructions. Step out of the secret room, Bubba following along behind you, and once you're once again in the manager's office, look over your shoulder one last time see Pussy Magnet silently wave as the secret door slides shut. And Val, and Val gets a, uh, eventually gets a phone call with Tig speaking into it from an arm's length and telling her what happened. <laughs> Just as well, because Val, as you arrive at City Hall, 
and find the grand old building built at the turn of the 19th century. Incredibly quiet. You're not expecting to have to wait long for Mr. Bradley. And yet, you spend about 30 minutes languishing in the little reception area outside the mayor's office as his secretary, who is forced to work such ungodly hours, continuously apologises every five to ten minutes. I-I-I-I'm so sorry, miss. I'm so sorry. He won't be long. He'll be with you as soon as he can. Oh, I'm sure he's very busy. Very busy Almost indeed. 1am. Even at night, even at 1am, you'd be surprised. He's got so many people that insist on only meeting him at night and... Oh, do they now? The Does young, he get most of his business at night? The young, blonde-haired girl smiles and she says, Well, in my experience, mayors get most of their stuff done during the day, but Mark's barely here during the day. At night is when he conducts his business. I wouldn't say he gets a lot of people during the night, but lately he's had a lot to talk about with the Pentex people, and... Well, they insist on only meeting at such ungodly hours. Thank you for letting me know that. I... Maybe I'll rub shoulders with them sometime if I spend too much time in the uh, in the lobby. She shrugs and nods and says, Again, I'm sorry. Look, I know he said to meet at one and... Well... She, she gives you another apologetic smile, unsure of what to say, as she says, I, I'll try and I'll tell him that you're waiting again. And then she darts out of the room, giving you ample time to get a phone call from Tig. And as you answer, you hear him recount his meeting with Pussy Magnet Murphy, his voice occasionally hard to hear, Thanks to the sound of the ute's engine and the late night wind buffeting his face as he insists on driving with the window wide open to allow his chosen source of prey to have easy access to him. But you get the gist of it. And just as you end the call and slide the phone back into your pocket, the overworked secretary emerges from the ornate double doors behind the counter, and she says, Oh, uh, m m Mr. Bradley, we'll see you now. Again, apologies for the wait. Oh, it's not your fault. It's like this wherever I go. Don't you worry. She leads you beyond the reception counter and pushes open the double doors, holding them open as you enter. And you step into the mayor's office. It's one of the oldest rooms in this heritage-listed building. But it looks incredibly modern. The floorboards have been replaced multiple times and have been polished to a mirror sheen. A regal 
regal green and yellow patterned carpet runs across the length of the room and there's a big glass window to your right that overlook Rippleside Park just outside City Hall. Mark Bradley himself sits behind an imposing mahogany desk. He still looks like Cleopatra, only his face is older, more tired, more frustrated, and unmistakably more masculine. Behind him, a huge Australian flag hangs on the wall, taking up the majority of the back of the office. He sighs as he gestures for you to take a seat in the leather chair in front of the desk. Ah, you, he says. Oh, Mr. Bradley, it's so nice to finally meet you in the flesh. Twenty-one odd years ago, and I still remember your face. Oh, you were one of the nicer people in the bar that night. And I appreciate that, and I remember that. And that's the only reason I agreed... ...when Jeanette called at this ungodly hour to send one of her own for an interview. <laughs> Val grins very widely and very brightly, being told she was one of the nicer people. Yes, Jeanette does have a seem, uh, seem to have a way of um, getting me into places. I'm flattered that you remembered me, though. I definitely remember you. Nosy bitch, he says, brushing his hand dismissively through the air at the mention of... Jeanette's name. Always trying to get in the way, trying to uncover every morsel of dirt about me that she can. I would have said no. But when she said it was you, I must admit, I was curious. Something about you stuck with me that night, and I'm sure it's mutual. Otherwise, you wouldn't have volunteered to be the one to come speak to me. Does she push your buttons alone? Hmm. Every single policy I've tried to champion since I was elected. She's dragged through the mud. And I'll be honest with you, good bloody chance I'm not going to see another term if she keeps publishing that drivel about me. <laughs> In the back of Valerie, your mind, Valerie, well, like... <laughs> An even larger smile. <laughs> yeah, because in the back of your mind right now, there's a particular piece of information floating around, waiting for its opportunity to come out. That Mark Bradley, back in his Cleopatra days, had some trouble with the police. Petty drug trafficking. You recall the report specifically saying. All right, he says. He leans back in his chair, sticks his feet up on his desk. 
What's on the agenda for tonight? Well, actually, for a breath of fresh air, I'm starting to ask you about your current policies. Oh? Ha! Yeah, of course someone from the Addy would want to know all about my policies. Look, go on. Ask your questions. I'll well, tell you like the I'm... same things I've told them. Well, it seems like you've been spending a lot of time uh, with Pentex execs and, you know, representatives of the, sort, of the sort. How much have you been involved with them lately? He raises an eyebrow. Pentex! Shit! You've done your homework, I... He leans forwards, lowers his voice. Does Jeanette know about Pentex? I've been trying to keep that on the down low. Oh, don't worry. Jeanette doesn't know all the things that I know. We're not exactly the same. And we don't see exactly eye to eye, if you understand. Okay, look, this is strictly off the record, but yes. Pentex have contributed a lot to the development of this city. The new library up out in the east. The Cowies Bay athletics programs for the little kids. All of that we wouldn't be able to afford without Pentex's generous contributions. Now, they, being the big corporation that they are, do not give out free handouts. I'm sure you know and understand. This is how politics works. So, yes, occasionally I have to have Pentex's back. But it's for the greater good. Look, that pride parade last month down Main Street of downtown, G-Town's own little Mardi Gras. You got Pentex to thank for that. And, well, you knew me back in my Cleopatra days. It's an issue very close to my heart. The money they're providing allows me to do good work in this city. Good work for people who deserve someone looking out for them. Oh, I have no doubts that you're using the money wisely. Uh, it, it's quite clear G-Town's been turning around lately, actually. My question is more around somebody specific. Have you been spending any time with, or... having any rendezvous with a man named Elliot? Elliot Dawkins. He skips a beat for a moment. He opens his mouth, shuts it again, as if he's before, going to say something, but no before he can res Before yep. he can uh, kind of backpedal his way out of any of this, uh, I'm going to use Lie Detector just to set the scene. Yeah. So go ahead and make your roll for Lie Detector. Does not require a Rouse check to activate. Uh, ooh, I'm gonna willpower that, actually. Power that. Yeah, just in case. Uh, wow, that's still just a one. Oh dear. Still just a one. Well, I'm going to read, uh, what the, what the role actually does, just so I can double check for myself. Um, 
So lie detector is, of course, a discipline in the player's guide. Yep, so it's intelligence or specs versus composure plus subterfuge. If I outroll him, and, I can see yeah. uh, any lies. And he is actively going to try to conceal his lies, so I'm going to have him roll now with his dice pool of five. Ish. Total failure. Oh, fantastic. Your question clearly caught him off guard, and so your roll of one beats his. Ah. Mm. He leans back. He says, Elliot, you said it was? Uh, what? He on the Pentex board or someone with the Addy or I'm sorry, you're going to have to refresh my memory. And as he says this, his aura flares around him bright red. Oh, Mark. You know exactly who Elliot is. I know you know who Elliot is. Come on, fess up. As you say this, I'll ask you to make a Resolve plus Auspex roll for me, please. Uh, two. Two. He matches his Loxy's eyes with you. Thinking for a moment. And then he sighs, raises a weathered hand to his forehead. And as he does, something draws you to the lines on the back of his hand. To his knuckles, to the contours between the pieces of bone under his skin. A premonition is trying to take hold. Will you allow it to? Yeah, she'll, she'll take that. You give in, allowing your beast to grant you its wisdom. It purrs like a satisfied animal as the skin on the back of Bradley's hand peels away, revealing his naked blood vessels and the flesh underneath. The veins on the back of his hand bulge and jiggle as potent blood forces itself through them. Suddenly, one of the veins bursts, spraying blood from the back of his skinless hand. And the vein, like a little worm, wiggles, burrows, sticks its edge out of the flesh, spraying Bradley's face with gore. He smiles at you, revealing blood-stained fangs. And then the fangs shrink return his mouth returns to normal the blood vessels bury themselves back in the flesh and his skin peels back along the back of his hand and for a brief moment you feel his heart beating in his chest it's a thump it's a thump it's 
a thump, and his voice whispers in your mind, Yes, just one drop more. One, one drop more. The greatest pleasure. And the premonition is over. Bradley's staring at you, an eyebrow raised. The Valerie? Miss, uh, uh... Are you okay? You've been quiet. You were saying something about an Elliot and, uh, trailed off uh, it's been quite a night actually <sighs> drink of water perhaps he says motioning mm. towards a crystal labelless bottle on his desk filled with mineral water uh, I appreciate the gesture but I'm not really in the mood for water right now sorry wait 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 um, Elias that's right Tell me about your relationship with Elliot. I've Surely it's just always... entirely, entirely professional, of course, correct? He sighs. Okay, you've got me. Elliot Dawkins is on the board of Pentex. He's the one most directly responsible for the deals between this council and the Pentex Corporation, but it's strictly professional, you understand. Of course, that's the way it always is in politics, it's always he professional. Is, he is the one who writes the checks, as it were, and he is the one who provides the paperwork that I am to lend my signature to, and there's nothing beyond it than that. As he says this, of course, his aura flares around him bright red. See, Bradley. I can call you Bradley, right? He shrugs. Yeah, fine. You've known me under stranger names. I have indeed. I... I find it hard to believe that you could have so much to do with this man and not have a personal relationship with him of some variety. I'm skeptical, you might say. Go ahead, make for me a charisma persuasion check. Uh, it's a critical five. Critical five. He rolled a three. He says, Okay. I'll give you that. You're on the ball. Let's say that Mr. Dawkins was the one primarily responsible for me being in office in the first place. But... That does not mean that my dealings with Mr. Dawkins are in any way untoward or biased, or that there is any implication that he would have me acting against the best interests of my constituents. Does his aura shift in response to this? So slightly. It doesn't turn bright red, but the edges of it are flecked with Orange, almost as if he's telling a half-truth. Well, I don't doubt that you've got your constituents' uh, best interests in mind, but 
there's something not quite right about this. See, I have it on good authority that he's assisting you privately. And what authority would that be? He says, letting the last word hang for just an instant. Oh, you know reporters, we have our sources. They're supposed to remain anonymous for their safety. He's silent for a moment. And the look on his face tells you that he desperately would like to know the names of these anonymous sources so that he could make sure they don't divulge any more of his secrets. And he simply leans back and he says, if you will not make me a show of faith, then I feel no need to reciprocate. Yes, Mr. Dawkins has been a valuable contributor, and dare I say it, friend. But that's as far as I will go. Now, questions about my policies? Unless you wish to press the issue, I believe we shall turn the topic of this conversation to something else. Um, Valerie looks down, like, uh, without trying to make a show at her phone to see if she's received any messages yet. You haven't received any messages, but would you like him to think that you have? Definitely. Yeah, go ahead, make me a charisma performance check. Uh, that's two, but I'm going to willpower it. Go ahead. Uh, four. Four successes. He fidgets in his seat, draining his neck forwards, trying to see if he can catch a glimpse of your phone and whatever messages you're checking for. Uh, he says, clearing his throat. Uh, that is to say, if Jeanette has a scoop in the works, I would be quite happy to make an arrangement. Quid pro quo, I'll scratch Jeanette's back and she can scratch mine, whatever it will take to get any mention of myself and Mr. Dawkins out of the advertiser. Uh, Valerie puts on a small display of um, swiping something on her phone, locking the screen and grinning to herself before writing her composure and meeting his gaze again. Oh, of course, uh, if Valerie wanted anything, I'm sure she'd calm down and pester you herself. Like you said, she bothers you every second of the day, looking for something she can pin on you. Look, I know you reporters are always looking for a scoop, and although I was curious to meet you, it seems that you're just as nosy as Jeanette is. You sit, come here, sit down, and the first words out of your mouth are about my relationship with Pentex and Mr. Dawkins. I'll make you a show of good faith if you promise me none of this ends up on the record. I'll give you a scoop to chase, to busy yourselves with, and to keep my name out of things. This, this Alvis impersonator, the one that was dug up under Sip Sip Hooray? Surely 
Surely the advertiser is bursting at the seams to find out anything they can about this poor individual, right? What if I told you I knew him back in the day? And what if I told you you were playing for his, paying for his plastic surgery? Oh! He grits his teeth. Oh! This is totally unexpected from his part. He doesn't even have a chance to lie. He just falters. I, uh, he lowers his head. Yes, I was paying for Henry's plastic surgery. Henry and I were close. Very close. Look, to was be entirely- brought to him be... to Cipere that night. Thought that we would perform together as a double act, and after that night, he stopped answering my calls. I assumed that we were over, but I never imagined that he was dead. I'd been uh... paying for his plastic surgery, helping him to pay it off at least. I was aware that. He owed a lot of money to his plastic surgeon in the days leading up to his disappearance. And we were very close. I was trying to help him any way I could, but... Well... A drag queen does not earn a lot of money. Cleopatra was not a rich woman. And I fear his disappearance is precisely because I could not help him pay off his debt in time. That's getting closer to the crux of the issue. Uh, Valerie meets his gaze and gives him something of like a commiserating, understanding look. I'm not here to tell you how to conduct your private affairs, and I'm not here to try to get some kind of scoop to ruin your life or disrupt your career, but this is a matter close to my heart as well. And I need to know, has Elliot, in his very generous friendship, helped you to pay for his plastic surgery? Go ahead and make for me a charisma persuasion check. Oh, good lord. I'm Will Herring that. Uh, three. That's all I got. Three. Four successes from him. He shrugs and he says, Mr. Dawkins helped me with many things. But pa paying off Henry's plastic surgery was not one of them. His aura flares again, not quite red, not quite orange, somewhere in between. He says, Money is not the sole thing that Elliot contributed to my cause. He looks you in the eyes, as I'm sure you, of all people, understand perfectly well. Are you implying that he was giving Henry similar accommodations oh no no not at all he says smiling his aura does not change color he's telling the truth no he would 
It was my request that Henry not be exposed to that world. Speaking of that world, it's very important that you understand what you're doing here and who you're talking to. Not just with me, but with Elliot as well. And How well do you know Elliot? I know he's assisting you in several ways, but how well do you know him, really? As a person? This is rather personal, don't you think? Bradley says, I will say we are very close, and I'll leave it at that. Elliot is one who, especially 20 years ago, harboured a an acceptance for people such as myself and Henry that was not common at the time. And when Henry disappeared, I chalked it up to hatred. The police would do nothing. They would not investigate his disappearance. Who would investigate the disappearance of a gay man in 1999. Elliot was the one who planted the seed in my mind of change, and it is he who helped me achieve this position so that I have created real, affectable change in this city. Do you understand? All too clear, unfortunately. Though I do have to ask, have you seen the reports? Do you know how Henry died? He hangs his head. Mm. I have. Somebody drained him of blood. And... I must confess... He looks towards you. And you can tell he's fighting an internal battle. And he says... I asked Elliot about it and he refused to speak, told me to talk of other things, but it's quite clear to me that Henry was murdered by one of your kind. Are you aware that Elliot is one of our kind? But of course, he says. Uh, Valerie kind of, like, bites her lip, unsure exactly how to put this down. The premonition, um, would you just like to directly ask him whether Elliot has given him blood? It's quite clear at this point that he, uh, he has. But, that is a good point. This might rock the boat enough for him to start spilling his guts. Mr. Bradley... Are you aware of the kind of relationship that you have with Elliot is unconventional, even by our standards? How do you mean? He says. Elliot and I, yes, we have some eccentric tastes, but we are consenting adults. It is behind closed doors. Are you aware of uh, 
Val kind of pauses for a second, realizing she's about to just speak openly, but pushes ahead anyway. She can smell that the answers are there. Are you aware of the Camarilla? He shrugs. I've never heard of such a thing. Although Elliot has mentioned it. Yes, he said. They are the ones who... They are the ones... Who have a vested interest... In that kind of hatred existing within this city. He and I... Would stand against them by making G-Town a better place. And he is my rock. He is the one who has helped me get this far. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't believe he is your rock. I believe that he is using you, specifically. The thing about this is, in in our world, people who treat you like this have something of a power advantage. You are not free entirely to be yourself around him, are you? To speak up against him, to, to fight. No, I... He trails off. But I... This is because I love the man and all that he has done for me and for for those who have suffered so long under bigotry. Yes, but have you ever, ever fought against him or ever disagreed with him and had it go your way, ever? He hangs his head, shakes it. No, I must confess, on this you are right. I believe that Elliot is involved in some quite dangerous activities, and I believe that Unfortunately, Henry is the linchpin in the situation. I believe that you are an unwitting accomplice in this. Go ahead, make for me a charisma and either persuasion or leadership role. Uh, four successes. Four successes. Are you happy with that? Uh, I'm going to throw on uh, Awe as well, just yep, to kind of presence. gaze him, uh, yeah, just kind of sway him as much as possible, and re-roll that uh, with my second last willpower. Uh, six successes, six plus successes. Awe. So, ten? Yeah. Uh, oh, six wait, successes what is plus... Yeah, what, what's the awe addition? Is it just plus one? Uh, it's just, it's it's your presence. You add your presence. Oh, yeah, that's just plus one, then. Yeah. Four successes. Four successes from him. He breaks down. The smug look of a politician who's carefully weighing up each word is dropped. His lip curls. The blood drains from his face. He looks you in the eyes and he says, If... If Henry... If Henry is in some way responsible... If Elliot is some way responsible for what happened to Henry... I'll do anything to see justice done. 
even if it means saying something against your captain. If she I kind must of choose on that word for a moment. If if I must. If this will if this will bring closure to what happened to Henry and this will suit Jeanette's agenda then I'll go against him. All they need to know is are you taking money from him? Money and blood and in return I must sign off on any propositions Pentex puts on my desk. The board wishes to have the old refinery torn down, a new one put up in its place, and then one from Mr. Dawkins himself to have Sip Sip Hooray torn down. A health hazard being the official justification. That one, he told me, is because it is a den for hunters. The people that the Camarilla, Camarilla will send after us if our relationship were to ever become public. On any other day, in any other place, this would go down very differently. I would be grilling you for a story, and I would be trying to find something that I could get the next best fantastic story, if, I, if I'm if i honest with myself. But this is quite personal for me, and my safety is in the balance with this. So, I'll make a deal with you. Deal. I can, yes. I can put you in touch with uh, some contacts from the Camarilla. We can uh, work on getting you right away from Elliot. Somebody there will definitely, uh, definitely know uh, exactly how to put the pressure on him. I can assure you that you will not be part of any investigation into Henry's death, nor will you be held responsible for any of the actions that Elliot has taken. In, res in return, I need some things from you. What do you need? He says in a monotone. Surprisingly simple things, actually. I need you to stop trying to tear down the old refinery. Give it a heritage listing instead. I won't discuss why, but this is vitally important. Heritage listing. I can push for that. I have some who owe me some favours in the Chamber of Commerce. And secondly... Not just for my sake and for my benefactors, but for your own and your memory of Henry. Stop trying to destroy Lucky's bar. Leave it be. Very well, he says. He clasps his hands together. And if I do these things, how do I know that you and your Camarilla are not simply going to hang me out to dry... If Elliot Dawkins is merely using me, how do I know that you are not simply doing the same? It's hard to explain, but there is a great difference between the Anarchs and the Camarilla. 
You should take us at our word and never take theirs at theirs. Give me a final charisma and either leadership or persuasion check. You may add your presence because you're using awe. Uh, success of seven. Success of seven. Yeah. He folds, plays right into your hand. His shoulders sink, he slumps over his desk, and he says, Fine. You'll have it your way. I ask one thing in return. As a show of good faith, I accept. The Let trouble, us not repeat the situation you've been in. The trouble I had with the law in my Cleopatra days. Uh, I'm certain Jeanette knows about them and she is only a bad day away from printing them. If those come out, my political career will be ruined. Sure, no one will care that I was a drag queen, but the drug trafficking... The drug trafficking while being a drag queen. I'll be done for. You will convince Jeanette to keep that out of the papers. Oh, that should be easy. Consider it done. He nods. Then we have a deal. And also... He raises a finger. Slides open a desk drawer and starts rifling through it. I have... Something here. Ah. I kept it. Even after Henry went missing, I kept this. This will lead you to the truth, I think. He slides a business card face down across the desk. Pick it up in your fingers and turn it over. Dr. Jonathan White, Waterfront Tuck and Tweak, Plastic Surgery, and an an address. This is the surgeon who conducted the work on Henry and who he owed money to before he disappeared. The clinic is still in business but it doesn't advertise openly. Let me guess. know the right people. Referral only. Referral only. And consider this a referral. Thank you, Mark. You've been extremely cooperative. He flashes a strained smile. And you are... I'm not quite sure what to make of you, but... That night in the bar, 21 years ago, I knew you were different. And you've proven tonight that you are. Let us hope this helps Henry be brought to the rest he deserves. And that whatever your people are planning, that those who deserve 
a clean break in this city, don't find themselves under the yoke of bigotry once again. Well, there's plenty of that going around, isn't there? These days, sadly true. I'll take my leave now. Thank you very much for your time, Mark. He nods once more, and you turn and step out of the office. And as you wave goodbye to the secretary, you've pulled out your phone and you're drafting a message to Jeanette as you make your way down the hall towards the park outside. And what do you tell her? Uh, first... Uh... First, uh, Valerie is activating Blush of Life. Uh, it's kind of a ritual of hers after after an interrogation or just a grilling of some variety. And she tells she tells Jeanette that Elliot is indeed uh, payrolling Mark. She leans against the cold stone wall of City Hall, rouses the blood colour flushes into her cheeks and then as she sends the message to Jeanette she reaches into her purse, pulls out a cigarette and lights it taking a puff blowing a plume of smoke into the humid night air. Did you get hungrier from that rouse? Uh, She did, yeah. She did. I will give you back a point of willpower though for following your normal ritual. Alright. What's your hunger at now? Uh, three. three. And That's with like that, yeah. um, as an addendum, she's going to message um, Jeanette and say um, the leverage uh, against Ma- uh, Mark is off the table now. I hope you understand. Table. The phone beeps 30 seconds later. There's a thumbs up and then a follow up. It's okay. We got what we needed. Tomorrow's headline... Mark Bradley, champion of the disenfranchised. Let's start puffing him up if he's going to work for us. Uh, Valerie just kind of like basks in the success and feels her heartbeat just like out of her chest from the experience of getting exactly what she wanted from him. So, Tig, you've already eaten, but Cross, Bouncer, Val... Mitch, what's your hunger looking like? Uh, Cross is at two. Cross is at two. Mitch, you're at three. Yes. Bouncer, you're going to do something else. You can't hunt yet, but what's your hunger at? Uh, I'm at three as well. Three as well. Uh, Slightly more pressingly, perhaps, Cross is down three willpower. No, it has seven total. Yeah, but it is Um, down three. Yeah. So would anyone like to hunt? You probably yeah. have enough time to hunt before the night is over. Not Bouncer, unfortunately. Once Bouncer's checked in with Lisa, it'll be time for the day sleep. So you'll probably have to hunt tomorrow. So Cross, um, you want to hunt? Oh, well, I think I got... Um, yeah. I think I got some blood from that cadaver. Or that, that, yeah. that guy that uh, do. Cross made into a cadaver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as you sit in the back of the Uber that carries you back to your haven for the night, Cross. You pop open 
the silver attaché case that contains all your instruments, all your ritual components, and you reach for the bags of blood, the remains of Officer Brick of the Victorian Police. Juice box, you say to the Uber driver, raising it. He shrugs, reaches over, turns the knob on the radio, filling the car with extremely loud Bollywood music. As Cross brings the blood bag to its lips and drinks deep. You may reduce your hunger to one, Cross. Lovely. You um, drain like all to... of the blood. Yep. Would like to get some more bags when possible. Yeah. Would you like to do that before retiring for the night? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So your predator type is bagger. So... Uh, I'm going to get the predator types up. And I'm sorry, the session might go 20 minutes longer than usual. Um, just because I want to get Bouncer's thing done, but I also want oh, no to you guys to it's hunt. It's intelligence streetwise, if you're looking Yeah, at it that. is intelligence streetwise. So go ahead and make for me an intelligence streetwise check, Cross. Uh, one success. One success. So, Cross, I where do you... How do you usually procure your bags of blood? I feel like Cross just sneaks into uh, any local clinic that would keep something on, on yeah. site. So, you have a couple of contacts in amongst the... in amongst the petty criminals of G-Town, and... Chief among them is a part-time fence who just so happens to work as a pathologist's assistant at a pathology clinic out on the fringes of marsupial attached to a run-down strip mall. You tap the driver on the back of the head to get his attention and tell him to take a detour to Marsupial Village Shopping Centre. And then you send a message through to your contact, Joe, asking him to leave the back door of the clinic open when he finishes his cleaning and clocks off for the night. Step out of the Uber in the empty parking lot of Marsupial Village. All of the shops shut at this time of night, save for the requisite O'Tolly's restaurant that's open at all hours. A couple of ferals gathered in a group in... next to a dumpster in front of a shuttered $2 variety store eye you suspiciously as you walk past them. And when their gaze follows you into the alleyway beside the marsupial pathology clinic, somehow they lose sight of you as the darkness itself seems to swallow you up. Joe's left the door open, as requested. But the clinic hasn't had many patients today. And of the patients they've had... Joe's been able to set aside even less blood. He has to be careful with what he portions away. 
taking only little bits at a time, making sure that the pathologists who run the clinic won't notice. And tonight, in the cleaner's... In the cleaner's closet, at the very back of the pathology clinic, sitting in the little cardboard box wedged behind a bottle of industrial strength disinfectant, is enough blood to reduce a single point of hunger. Four little glass vials. The patient's names ripped off. This is all Joe was able to portion aside for you tonight. Of course, you could always take it one step further. Try to break into the pathologist's office and snatch even more blood. Perhaps Joe's playing it a bit too cautious tonight. Nah, I'm not gonna screw up a, uh, a contact and raise raise yeah. the alarm when I'm already well fed. So, feeling a little disappointed and fighting back the urges from your beast to take more, take what you owe, you slide the vials into your attaché case and step out once again through the back door. A few minutes later, you're back in the Uber, trying your best to tune out the blaring Bollywood music as you're carried through the industrial wasteland to your warehouse haven in Hume Park. We will cross over to Bouncer, because I know Paradox has D&D today, so I want to get him over and done with first. So, Bouncer, you arrive at Lisa's address. A rental property out in South Gateway. This is the type of middle-class suburb that usually an employee in this very specific industry that Lisa works in would not be able to afford. But Melissa, the owner of the club, takes care of her girls, pays them far more than they deserve, and Bouncer, for your part, you chip in when you can. And so it's no surprise to you at all when you turn up at the address you're given and find a fairly respectable-looking three-bedroom suburban townhouse, complete with a Holden sedan in the driveway that's only four years old. And as soon as you arrive, your predator's senses are on edge. Something's wrong. The lights are off. The blinds drawn on every window. The car sits in the driveway, unused, and a thin layer of dust sits on the bodywork, indicating it's not been driven in quite some time. What would you like to do? 
then she's gonna yeah, cautiously make her way up to the front door and just like looking to see like have any of the windows like on the way have any of the windows been broken into or and then obviously she gets to the door checking that's closed still yeah so you make your way up the front driveway onto the patio the big bay window that looks into the lounge room is firmly shut and so is the smaller window that looks into the kitchen just next to the front door raise your fist and knock on the wire security door and there's no response it's at this point however that you notice that the wooden gate in front of the car at the edge of the driveway that usually leads into the backyard is open blowing in the wind hearing it creep is what draws your attention to it. Yeah, she'll yeah, make her way through the gate. Keeping yeah. an eye out for any, like, footprints or anything she notices. You step down off the patio and pull open the gate, stepping into the backyard. The lawn is tangled, overgrown, a mess. At least a couple weeks overdue for a service. And then you approach the back door in the adjoining laundry window. And as you do, I'd like you to make a wits investigate check for me. successes to make your way to the back door you notice that the tangled lawn in several places is flattened as if something heavy pressed down upon it these spots are far enough apart that they could be evidence that someone has walked through here if these are indeed footprints you see a trail of them leading to the back fence Beyond the back fence is a stretch of parkland that runs along the back of the adjoining street. The trees in the park are thickly concentrated, close together. It less resembles an outer suburbs family park and more a stretch of untamed wilderness. Furthermore, Although the laundry door is shut and the screen door behind it held firmly in place, the laundry window is ever so slightly open, the clasp broken, dangling on the white weatherboard as if somebody smashed it with a blunt object. Is that, is that window, like, near the door, so as in you'd be able to use that then to open the door, or is it just the window? Um, yeah, yeah, you can, you can reach through the window and 
and unlatch the security door through here. Yeah, so she'll yeah go unlock, reach through to unlatch the door to get in. Yep, unlatch the back door, pull it open, and step into the laundry. And as soon as you step into the laundry and pull the door shut behind you, your beast perks up. Ah, do you smell that? As the rusty, metallic, sweet, earthy scent of blood and decay tickles your nostrils I guess I'm going to follow the scent it's probably yeah. the best lead I've got so far follow the scent through the darkened laundry out into the hallway through a quiet dining room where a half-eaten dinner, a half-eaten chicken parmigiana still sits on a cracked plate on the table. The scent grows stronger and stronger as it leads you into the master bedroom. What's your, uh, how many dots in wits do you have? Uh, wits is three. Three, yeah, so you notice without having to roll as you make your way down the hallway to the master bedroom, bloodied footprints now dry, sunken into the grey carpet. leading from the dining room to the master bedroom and it is quite clear to you that somebody fled this way in a hurry scrambled to the bedroom to try and hide to try and block their attacker but the but it didn't work the door to the master bedroom is wide open and the chest of drawers that's been clumsily shoved behind it has been knocked out of the way, toppled over lying on the carpet and as you approach the scent of blood goes, grows stronger and stronger and with your three points in wit, you hear a most disconcerting sound. The sound of something tiny, tiny feet scrambling and scratching. The sound of flesh being torn from bones. <laughs> Coming from just beyond the threshold of the bedroom. guess what this is but yeah it's just gonna push open the door push open the door the rest of the way and is there anything you'd like to rouse or anything you'd like to prepare as you step in as you're aware and you hear this sound knowing what might be awaiting on the other side
much that I can rouse, but just sort of somewhat cautiously, she's gonna put up Daunt just to be have some form of protection. Yep. Alright, I'd like you to roll your Daunt now, please. Uh, that's just intimidation check, or? So that will be. Uh, let me double check. Uh, Daunt, I'd like you to go ahead and roll for me a Charisma Intimidation plus Presence. As you step inside. Plus Presence. Five successes. Five successes. You step over the threshold and you're Beast slobbers, <laughs> anticipating the bounty within. First thing you see is what was once Lisa, cowered in a pool of blood in the corner just beyond the four-poster bed. I say what was once Lisa because there's not much less left of her. The tattered silk nightgown, the shreds of torn skin, the rotting flesh dangling off bones, being munched on, torn away by a swarm of engorged rats, their eyes glowing bright red with vicious hunger in the darkness. And as they feel the impact of your footfalls on the blood-soaked carpet, they sense fresh meat. And they turn. And acting as a single unit, a mass of whiskers and blood-caked fur and stubby little paws, the swarm charges towards you. What will you do? Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Hoping it wasn't her, but then, obviously, stepping to the door and realising, no, it is her. She's just gonna basically just let out a roar in anger. It's like, her worst fear has been realised. And just start stomping rats. <laughs> just gonna just just start stomping rats as they swarm towards you? Okay, I'm gonna yeah, get the rats. Sort of in a pseudo fury frenzy. <laughs> so, the rats... <laughs> as they charge towards you, your beast seems to manifest as you shout in near anger frenzy and simple-minded rodents they may be but your daunt still works and at least half of the rats in the swarm hesitate for just a moment as their foolish 
foolish kin continue charging towards you, grabbing hold of your legs, trying to worm their way up your body, sinking their teeth into your flesh. Go ahead, make me a strength brawl check. successes three successes you stomp and smash and punch the rats but there's far more than you originally thought there were there's got to be at least 30 40 rats packed into this tiny room and you're only one person and before you know it they're swarming all over you pulling you down to the floor and as you land with a thump the rats swarm over you, chittering as they dig their teeth into your flesh and begin to feast. With four successes, you take two points of superficial damage as you start ripping them off you, tearing their teeth from your flesh as blood gushes out and your hunger goes up by one. So is that is that two halved or is it just two? So that's just two. I've already halved it for you. And that is also you got by one hunger. As you begin to bleed profusely, blood gushing out of the many little pinprick size holes left by their fangs. You do manage to crush and smash some of them as you rip them off you, crunching them underfoot picking them off your body, hurling them at the wall, and each time you do this, as they hit the wall, they explode like blood sausages, leaving bloody smears on the plaster. But there's still heaps of them left. And those that are still feasting on what's left of Lisa suddenly decide fresh meat is more important. They tear themselves away from her rotten flesh and join the pack charging towards you. Uh, yeah, she, wants, she wants to keep fighting, but realises this is... These are not normal rats, and this is a bad situation. So this... Yeah, she's going to try and... Basically using her soaring leap to try and just basically launch herself out one of the nearby windows. Yeah, alright. Look around from left to right. See the bedroom window. It's tightly shut. Do you risk trying to get over it to open it, or are you just going to leap straight out? Oh yeah, just yeet myself out the window. Yeet yourself out the window. Lovely. The swarm of rats chitters louder and louder. You've taken care of a good few, but there's at least half left. At least 10 to 20 rats 
And these are the larger, hungrier, more vicious ones. These are not normal rats. And so you decide... Flee. Go ahead for your soaring leap. I would like you to make for me a strength athletics check and you may add two bonus dice. Four successes. So the rats once again fail to beat your daunt, and at least five or six of them hold back, sitting there hissing, spitting, frothing at the mouth as you bend down and leap. The few rats that are still attached to your body are torn off from the force of you leaping with supernatural speed through the air as you grit your teeth and tumble head first through the bedroom window. The glass shatters and you take a point of superficial damage as you land in a flower bed on the front lawn outside. Somehow through all of that, three rats still held on. You feel the biting, stabbing pain as they dig their fangs into your flesh. Foolishly trying to gorge themselves on fresh flesh and blood rather than fleeing, returning to the relatively safe bounty that remains inside the house. What will you do? Yeah, she's just gonna try and like walk the last two rats off and then try and leave the like, area. Run for it. Yep. Yeah. Alright. Go ahead, make me I a she's got all the information she's gonna get from you. There's probably more in there, but there's all those yeah. rats. And on your own they might be a tad tough to deal with. So go ahead, make me a strength. Brawl check. Mm-hmm. We'll follow that. Hey, go ahead. One success instead of a total failure. One success instead of a total failure. So they roll and get three successes. You take one point of superficial damage as a rat sinks its teeth into your neck. Your hunger doesn't go up, but your beast shrieks in pain as you reach up, grab this huge rat in your hands and crush it. Then you turn your attention to the last two rats remaining, trying to scramble up your leg. You kick out your leg, unsteadying them. One of them falls off with your right foot 
you crush its neck into the dirt and then reach down, picking up the last one and hurling it back through the window. You hear a loud thump as it collides with something within, but you don't stop to see what remains of it. Instead, you turn and your beast whimpering, cowering like a feral dog. You summon the blood that remains within your person. Soaring leap. Jumping over the wooden fence that separates this block of land from the parkland next to it. And fleeing into the safety and shadows of the trees. Chosen to flee, leaving the rats to their grisly meal. But you had just enough time to recognize what was left of that face as Lisa. The half of it that was remaining at least. The right cheek, the eyeball that was still in its socket, the patches of hair that remained. And based on the sheer frenzy at which those rats acted, there's one possibility in your mind. Somebody summoned them there. Go ahead for me, Bouncer, and make an intelligence plus a cult check. Or an intelligence plus animal ken check. Same either way, I have neither. <laughs> mm, so just intelligence then. Only one success. Only one success. You've never seen that many rats all in one place, especially not in a middle class rented townhouse in the respectable suburb of South Gateway. No. Somebody summoned them there. Somebody gave those rats a meal. And there's one clan that you're aware of that is able, possesses the ability to do this. Gangrel. Tig. As the ute makes its way down the long dirt track that leads to the farmhouse, out on the outskirts of Foster, what is your hunger at? Two. Two. You park up in front of the farmhouse, aware, distantly aware of a couple of cows watching with glowing yellow eyes, watching you apprehensively as you climb out of the ute and your boots crunch over the dirt towards them. Will you yep. feed from your cows this night? I reckon so. A few minutes later, the back screen door of the farmhouse is flung open as you step into the kitchen 
wiping the last dregs of cow blood off your bottom lip. Yeah. The dogs have been let out and they know where to go. The dogs are roaming free in the paddock. And your wife looks up bleary-eyed from the women's weekly crossword. She's been laying up for you. Dig! I should have gone to bed. I thought I'd wait up for you. Seems like an important night. <sighs> Let's just say all them bad things I'll say about Valerie. I'll take them back. <sighs> Half of them anyway. Gonna give her a big hug. So she's not a harpy anymore? She says as she wraps her hands around you in an embrace. She's all harpy. Touche. Productive uh, night? Yeah. Tell you all about it. You got the time. She glances up at the clock just above the kitchen counter. Quarter past four? I'd say we got about 40 minutes before the sun comes up. Come to bed, Tig. Tell me all about yeah. it. All right. Did you get a willpower uh, back, Tig? Yay. Vincent. Please describe Mitch's Haven for me. Um, it is a very, very shitty apartment. It's very bare bones. He has a desk. He has papers everywhere. It is a horrific fire hazard. And that's about it. When, when, when Mitch is in a self-deprecating mood, he likes to tell people that he has a waterfront apartment. And technically that's true, because it is in downtown, and it is five or six blocks away from the waterfront. But you can't see Cowie's Bay from here. Instead... The window of his makeshift study, which is little more than an empty room and a desk covered in stacks of papers nearly as high as him, just looks out onto downtown G-Town, specifically down on Ballerine Road, where the dregs of the underclass, the clubbers, the revelers, the junkies... Scatter into the darkness like cockroaches as they sense the oncoming of the day. And as your blood begins to grow heavier, Mitch, as you feel the sun on the horizon about to rise, you stagger over to your bed, little more than a cheap mattress on a broken metal frame. And lying upon it is a glass wine bottle. Hung around the neck of the bottle is a blood-red ribbon with a piece of eggshell white paper attached. Reach down, pick up the paper, and in the dim moonlight... In the dim greyness of the oncoming morning, you read the words scrawled in barely legible academic's handwriting on the piece of paper. 
You've been working hard, Mitch. So hard that you're losing your sense on reality. I could tell. I could feel it in my bones. It happened again tonight, didn't it? Well, you need something to anchor you. Something to anchor you to this reality. No more Mandela effects. Hawthorne. Your sire's name. And the wine bottle, of course, is full of his blood. You have a choice, Mitch. You are a bond slave, so you can drink your sire's blood, and in fact, you're being drawn to it. The, the, you find yourself raising the bottle to your lips, even without consciously being aware of it. This man, the man you love so much, the man you love deeply, Hawthorne. Is doing everything he can to make sure you are anchored to this reality where you belong. But something deep down inside you, your beast fights. There's that barely detectable hint of rebellion. It's calling upon you to hunt. So what will you do? Take your sire's gift or hunt. Mitch is going to take the blood. You silence your beast, uncork the wine bottle, and let out a great contented sigh. <sighs> As you down it all in a single gulp, please reduce your hunger to one. The blood bond remains, and as you lean down on your mattress, you hear the springs groan. Take a deep breath and close your eyes, and in your mind's eye you can see Hawthorne's face. His youthful, smug, charismatic face. The visage that has won the hearts of many a grad student, and he's smiling. You've done the right thing. That leaves, before we finish, Val, you're going hunting. Uh, yes, she is. And she's had a very big night. She could use a snack. Yeah, and your predator type is, of course, Manic Pixie Predator. <laughs> that it is indeed. Manic Pixie Predator. You feed and leave. Finding suitors is easy enough, but finding a new date each time you're hungry is not practical. So you have a very unusual way of hunting, Valerie. You have a collection of men and women that you're stringing along at any one moment, at least five or six at a time, each of them blissfully unaware of the existence of all of the others. And you are their ma manic pixie dream person who's floated into their lives and will eventually, when you're done with them, leave them longing and lost. Go ahead and roll manipulation plus insight for me.
Uh, that's two successes. Two successes. Hmm. Setting up a last-minute meeting with people, even when they're head over heels in love with you, is difficult at the best of times. When your insides are gnawing with hunger, and your beast is screaming at you to find one of these people and take what you need, it's even harder. So you only have the option of one of your suitors tonight. So tell me, Val. Man or woman? Um, so in this circumstance, Valerie has a little burner phone. It's barely a burner phone anymore because she's kept it for so long. But it's an old little phone she keeps in her pocket, turned off. And she only turns it on to receive messages exactly when she wants to get, uh, get her feed. And of course, as you turn it on, you find it loaded with messages, at least 28 of them from this one specific person. They are dying to see you. They've been missing you all day. They cannot live without you. Who are they? Uh, See, this specific person is a tender for their... um... Uh, for their stalker, but never quite ascended to those ranks. Um, they're a young student, uh, in their early 20s, um, and his name... He actually doesn't have his name yet, um, he's just, um, student from bar three (laughs) in her phone. Um, but she remembers him quite fondly from several months ago. She hasn't called him back yet or anything like that, but, um, yeah, he's the one who's pestering her at the moment. It's been far Mm. too long for him. She's been feeding him just enough to keep him on her leash. Loving messages, racy pictures. We haven't met in person in quite a few nights. That doesn't mean much to him, though. You text him a time and a place. The bar down the street. Ten minutes from now. And he'll be there. It turns out his name is Everett. Everett Downs. And you're sure he's told you that at some point, but it didn't make it from your short-term memory into your long-term. He has drinks waiting on the bar when you enter. Your favourite. You don't remember telling him your favourite, but he knows it nonetheless. He knows everything about you, and he is ready to serve his queen. You enjoy some drinks. You talk to him, manipulating him in just the right way, gaslighting him, pulling those strings, turning those dials, getting him hot and bothered in just the right way. And then you innocuously drop the line. Shall we get a room? And he's all for it. Half an hour later, you're stepping out of the entrance of the Centennial Hotel, alone. Your hunger reduced to one. Your beast. Sighing. In anticipation. And in the bedroom, up on the second floor, in room 103, Everett Downs lasers on the bed. 
You told him you needed to freshen up, but you've already taken what you needed. Already taken what you wanted. It's surprising how often that works. Mm. On the same person as well. And he won't see you again for a few more months to come. And that concludes this session. Well done, guys. That was a good session. Oh, yeah. Everybody got a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you retire for the night... Everyone got a moment. I had to count sand. (laughs) (laughs) Bits of sand, yeah. (sighs) No, you saw the catch on the armor. Yeah, Um, you did see the catch on the armor, and... That could have ended up a lot bloodier. Instead, those two hunters still have their lives. And you've made progress on your investigation. You've got evidence that Barry Jr. is responsible for at least some of these deaths. You haven't yet tied him to Elvis. But you still have one more night left. One final night to do your investigations. And if my new NAS buddy comes through and gets that videotape. Yeah. Is that? And now we know how Barry's disposing of his kills. Yeah. He's graduated to summoning animals to eat them. Yeah. Seems to be a recent development. Yeah. But there's only two clans that traditionally know how to do this. And one of them's Gangrel. Could be something yeah. worth pointing out when the time comes to defend yourselves. So, as you succumb to the day sleep... As the sun rises and washes away the darkness and the city on the bay awakens, you all receive two experience points. And those of you who are damaged may go ahead and get a free heal of superficial damage as allowed by your blood potency. You also regain willpower equal to your composure or resolve, whichever is higher. Oh, thank goodness. I think I stand to love having four resolve. Yeah. Lots of willpower back. So I don't believe any of you are at blood potency too. So Tig and Mitch and Bouncer, that is one free superficial damage healed overnight. Yep. You return to the state you were in. At the time of death. Yeah. Uh, we're still waiting on Cross's stain, aren't we? I would like you to roll for that now, please, Cross. Mm, okay. Can't wait to awaken into a hunger frenzy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah, sounds great. Right. Yeah. yeah, you got to hunt first thing tomorrow night. One day I'll remember how to do a, um, a stain um, roll. Right, so what you're going to do is I'd like you to roll your humanity that you have... So. You would have started at seven humanity, and you have one stain, so that would leave two dice to roll. Roll two dice. That's a total failure. Total failure. Your humanity drops to six. Thus begins the decline. As Cross succumbs to the day sleep, the last thought in its head is that death is simply a state of being. And it was Officer Brick's time. Honestly, a lower humanity kind of suits Cross. It does. I was thinking as much. And with that, 
we conclude? Uh, no, I believe Mitch has a stain. Ah, yeah, Mitch does yeah, have a stain. Does. Yeah. So you also teacher, go ahead teacher, and roll. Go ahead and roll two dice for me, Mitch. I got one success. One success. You did right. desecrate that grave. But the dead are beyond caring. It's the living that are bound by the rules of reality. It is the living who have no free will. Erase the stain and your humanity remains at seven. And that concludes Who Killed the King, part three. We'll be back next fortnight for the next instalment of Lords of G-Town. The Hammer Falls.